We are glad that you're here uh, to worship with us at Church in the Valley. Like you've just seen there on the screen, we are uh, continuing the message series today called The Lies That Defeat Us. And each week we've been talking about the battleground that goes on in between our ears. Uh, We have certain thoughts that come to us. Uh, They can be just from fears that we have, from doubts that we have. They can be put there from the culture and its ways. They can be put there from the enemy, Satan himself. And they come from a variety of ways. But what happens is these lies tend to become very real to us. And they seem like they are true. And as we buy into them, they cause us to act a certain way. They cause us to do certain things. And they actually really can come against us and prevent us from experiencing the life that God wants for us. So just as a way of summary, I wanted to kind of bring you in on where we've been uh, the past few weeks. We've been talking about certain lies. The first one was it's too hard. Uh, When we're faced against things that we think the odds are stacked against us, we're unlucky. There's nothing we can do. We just cave into this idea that it's too hard, it's too difficult, I I can't do what's before me. Uh, The second one we looked at a few weeks ago was I'm too tired. Through life, through circumstances, through work, through family, whatever it is, there's just things that can exhaust us, that can drain us, that can just suck the very life out of us, it seems. And we tend to ask this question when we're at those times where we feel like we have no more energy, we can't move forward. Last week we talked about it's not what I want. And there's a certain idea that we have in our mind about how things could go, how things should go. And when it doesn't happen, uh, we tend to think this lie. We tend to state this lie within us like it's not what I wanted. This isn't how I wanted it to go, how I thought it should go. And we can be very discouraged. Today we're looking at the idea of it's not fair. And I know for myself, I actually thought this lie way early. As a kid, I had this sentiment a lot in life. Somebody would get candy and I wanted that candy and that's not fair. I had siblings. If you have siblings, this lie comes a lot. How come they get that and I don't get that? How come they get to do this and I don't get to do this? And it's not fair was something that I grew up from a very young age thinking and believing. And it can be just discouraging. And you could think that, why are people out to get me? That's not fair. Why did I get treated like that? And uh, sometimes it can be extreme. Sometimes it can be subtle. But a lot of times... uh, It happens in circumstances, and it comes to us when we least expect it. I wanted to show you a a video about insurance. Now, insurance has a great way of raising your fears, because if your fears are raised, you're a lot more willing to pay money to be taken care of. And so this is a, a commercial from, I believe it's Allstate. Let's check this out. That's not fair, right? Uh, Luckily, I I haven't ever parked my car on the the street going down. I have gone down the wrong way on a one-way street. That wasn't not so fair. It was just watch out for my driving. However, uh, all of us have experienced some version of this where, you know, you have something to do, you're late for something, and the things come against you. Um, When I was in high school, I couldn't wait to get my driver's license. And back in the day, you had... You know, as soon as you were 16, you could start to drive. You didn't have to have an adult with you. You could just start. And my mom had this white Chrysler LeBaron convertible. Now you're thinking, what is that? But back in the day, like in the 90s, like Chrysler LeBaron was like, they were legit, okay? 
And if you put the top down, watch out. Okay. So my mom had this car and I got my driver's license and I said, Hey mom, this was the day before uh, school. The day I got it, the next day I said, Hey mom, can I, can I drive to school? My first day with my driver's license, can I drive to school? And I just was like crossing my fingers, like, come on, mom, please, please. I worked so hard for this. And she says, sure, son, you can ride to school. And I just thought, wow, the heavens opened up and I had my own car and I was going to be able to drive by myself to school. And so the next day I woke up and it was kind of raining and I was like, "Uh oh, new driver and rain, but it's okay. I got the keys. And so I was excited. I go and I begin to unlock the, the driver's side door. And as I'm unlocking the door, the key snaps off in the car door. I'm like, well, that's not good. And what do I do? Like, how do I, I knew enough about driving that I needed the key, you know? And so I went back, my mom was still asleep. It was early in the morning. I was going to school. I was like, mom, I broke the key in the car door. And I was thinking it's over. You know, she's going to get up frustrated, take me to school. She's like, okay, that's fine. I have a spare key. Open the passenger side door. I'm like, think this is, this is fantastic. Like my mom is still letting me drive to school and I snapped the key off in her door. And so I go to the other side and I, you know, I climb across the seat and I'm driving in the rain. I'm like, man, I can't really see that well, but nothing's holding me back. And all of a sudden I realize like that first thing you're supposed to do, you know, 10 and two, but then you're supposed to check your mirrors. Well, I realized like I hadn't checked the mirrors. I'm a rookie driver. I'm breaking all the rules that you're supposed to do. And I decide like, while I'm driving, why well, I, I can't see out of the rear view mirror. And so I grabbed a rear view mirror and I snap it off in the middle of driving, but it has a light to it. And so it's actually swaying through the electrical cord. And so I'm driving like trying to look out the rear. And I'm thinking this is the worst first day of driving ever. And so I got home from school that day and I said, mom, thank you so much. The key is still in the door. And I snapped off your rear view mirror. Can I use the car tomorrow? And I was so excited. And I realized that in the midst of this perfect day I had, Everything that happened, I was thinking, that's not fair. I, I wanted this to, to go seamlessly. I wanted this to go perfectly. I wanted my mom to have trust that I could handle it. And I snapped the key off. I broke the mirror. And that was what I was dealt. And that's what I did. And it was unfortunate, but my mom and her grace still let me use the car. And so speaking of high school, uh, I grew up in the 90s. I graduated high school in the 90s. And there was a song that was really popular that kind of gave the sentiment of, unfortunate circumstances and the song's called ironic by Alanis Morissette. I, I want you guys to follow, follow these words, uh, and draw from it. If you're, if you grew up in the nineties, you're gonna be like, this is awesome. If you've never heard of Alanis Morissette, I'm sorry, but here is your one taste of her music next week. Hootie and the Blowfit. No, just kidding. <laughs> Let's go ahead and, and, and listen to her song with the lyrics here. If it doesn't come, I will sing it. Okay, good.
Now, how many of you want to keep singing? You know what's next? Traffic jam when you're already late, right? It's the next line. Here's the deal. What she's, what she's saying there is, is a common experience, okay? Alanis Morissette was just writing about things that she calls ironic. Well, the idea of irony here is not just so much irony as much as it is like, this stuff stinks. When this happens, uh, no one wins, it seems. And she, she has this, this phrase, and life has a funny way of helping you out. When you think everything's gone wrong and everything blows up in your face. See, Alanis was like that. Was just, Let's just bring the truth out. Life stinks. And it's going to blow up in your face. And buy my album on iTunes, right? Well, this is a, kind of this truth that we all just face. It's this idea of, we have a kind of an idea, and it just seems like everything blows up in our face. And we have these phrases like, I can't believe it. Why did that happen? That's not fair. Figures. She says that it's a, it figures. You have this outlook, and it's just, it figures. Just when everything was going right, it figures. And this thing of it, it's unfair. It just plagues us. It feels like wherever we go, there's problems. And some of you today, you may be feeling that. There may be just problems that you keep facing and they're reoccurring. And just when you think you're getting traction outside of the problem, another problem comes. And you're thinking, enough already. It's not fair. I can't handle any more of this. Or there's certain opportunities that you've been waiting for at work, whether it's in the terms of a promotion, whether it's in terms of new responsibility, or even a new job. And you've just been waiting for this opportunity and it skips you by. And it goes to someone else or the thing that you thought was there, you go to grab and it's no longer there. And you think, it's not fair. It figures. Just when I thought I was getting ahead, I'm now three steps behind. And all these things, whether it's at work, whether it's trouble, these things weigh on us. And this lie that gets to us, it's it's not fair, really begs the question that we think certain things should happen that are not happening. And when it's not fair, it drives us nuts because this isn't what I wanted. This isn't what I planned for. And it just tends to push us back and push us back. And so what I want to do, like we've been doing throughout this series, is actually look at the scriptures to find some circumstances and some historical accounts of people that have faced the lies that we've been talking about. Because history has a way of teaching us, especially as you look in the Bible and you see how God interacted with people. You find the things that they were faced and the circumstances they faced may not be exactly like we face today, but there's certain principles that we can draw out of these historical historical accounts. And so we're going to talk again about the Israelite people and some circumstances that they found them in, uh, particularly with a leader named Jehoshaphat. Now, that is an awesome name. He was the first pronunciation of fat being P-H-A-T, okay? Jehoshaphat, he's the originator of that, okay? Just so you know. And uh, we're going to be talking about kind of some choices that he made that led to some um, consequences, And then in the middle of the consequences, as he's trying to make right, uh, kind of what he did with some unfair things that happened. And so wanted to give you kind of some lessons and some backdrop. And I'm kind of summarizing a lot of verses and chapters in a small nugget. So we're not here for a really, really long time. So if if you're thinking, well, that doesn't make sense. I encourage you to to go back to the Bible itself. We're going to be following along in Second Chronicles. But here's just some backstory of kind of. Israel and what's going on at the time. At the time, there's, Israel is now broken into two kingdoms out of some divisiveness and some rebellion. They're in two kingdoms. This one country now is the north and south. And they're Israel and Judah. And so even just as a kingdom, they're divided and they're kind of experiencing trouble. And you're seeing, as you dig into the Old Testament, many times, just when they're getting traction, 
people forget who God is, people forget his commands, and they decide to go their own way, and rebellion strikes, and just havoc happens. A lot like life, a lot like what we've been talking about. Just stuff goes bad, stuff goes wrong. Sometimes it's from choices we make. Sometimes it's from choices others make. Sometimes it's just life, and we don't know what happened to make it be what it is. And so some of this is going on, and the kingdom is divided. They're not really unified. And the kingdom of Israel is, is wicked. They're, they're not seeking God. There's a king called Ahab. And he's decided that he really wants to go his own way, please himself, and, and do what he wants. And when you find that in the Old Testament, any time that somebody decides they're going to just go their own way and do what they want to do, God is very gracious. But there comes a time where they need to decide, okay, are you going to live for yourself or are you going to live for me and my commands? And so Ahab has decided that he's not going to live for God and his commands. He's going to do what he wants to do. Now, the other half of the kingdom, Judah, is led by Jehoshaphat. Now, Jehoshaphat is a mixed bag like me and you. He makes some good choices. He makes some bad choices. But he was given really some specific instructions to not partner with Ahab because of how evil he is. So Judah was not supposed to partner with Israel. The divided kingdom was divided, and God did not want Jehoshaphat to partner they have you guys following along so far these are a lot of different names that you're probably never going to hear in today's world but it's helpful to kind of follow along here so judah israel divided kingdom jehoshaphat is leading judah well what what happens is jehoshaphat made an alliance with ahab ahab tricked him into this alliance and said you know we we will do battle together together we're stronger we're divided we're weaker and we're going to be taken out and so he kind of tricked him and said let's let's attack Ramoth Gilead. Let's attack this group. And they do battle. Ahab himself, the king, decides to go into battle. He's disguised and he gets killed. And so Jehoshaphat partnered with Ahab. He wasn't supposed to. Ahab fights in the battle. Ahab gets killed. And Jehoshaphat's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, I disobeyed God. I allianced with Ahab. I wasn't supposed to. Now the person I allianced with is is dead. And he's thinking, "Uh uh-oh, what have I done? All this stuff is falling apart. I'm afraid. I don't know what to do. And I'm going to pick up the story in 2 Chronicles 19. And here is the account of what happens after this battle in which Ahab was killed. It says, but Jehu, the son of Hanani, the seer, went out to meet him. This is Jehoshaphat. He went out to meet him and said to King Jehoshaphat, should you help the wicked and love those who hate the Lord? Now, anytime you're asked that, you're supposed to say no. Okay, that's a key question. Do you hate the Lord? No, we don't hate the Lord. Because of this, wrath has gone out against you from the Lord. Nevertheless, some good is found in you. It's basically saying you made a really bad choice. You partnered with this person you weren't supposed to partner with. But you have some good in you. You have potential. There's something that you can do that can still be beneficial for the kingdom of God. You can still be used. For you destroyed the Asherahs out of the land. You have set your heart to seek God. Jehoshaphat lived at Jerusalem, and he went out again among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So Jehoshaphat... Faced with the facts and this messenger that says, you know what, you've done some wicked, but God sees potential in you. God sees that that you still have something you can offer to God. He says, "Okay, I'm going to gather the people and we're going to come back to God and we're going to seek him. So Jehoshaphat saw the error of his ways. I messed up. I shouldn't have alliance. I did. The guy died. I'm going to turn away. This this is not what I want. So I'm going to gather the people and we're going to seek you and do what's right before you. What, what happened is, is because Jehoshaphat had gone his own way, he didn't fear the Lord. Fear of the Lord, as you look at it in the Old Testament, is this idea of you want to do what God tells you to do. You want to stay within the boundaries he said. So if God says it, 
you do it. And the fear of the Lord is the same today. It means that you fear him, you take him serious enough that if God tells you to do this, you will do it. If he tells you to not do that, you will not do it. You realize that his commands are serious. He means what he says. And he does what he says. So you fear him, you take him seriously. You want to follow him to his exact words. Well, Jehoshaphat, he didn't. All was not lost, but really the fear of the Lord is protection for those that seek the Lord. If you do what God wants you to do, you're like under the umbrella of the protection of God. And so there was a little hole in the umbrella. It's like if you have an umbrella outside, the rain can fall in if there's a hole. And the same can happen if you you don't fear the Lord and you tend to kind of do what you want to do. You lose some of the protection that God provides because you're going your own way. You're living independently from God. So Jehoshaphat realizes this, he repents and decides, you know, I need to come back into the boundaries, into the guardrails of doing what God has said. So he experienced the pain, he experienced the problem, he saw this person he had partnered with and befriended die and he's just kind of overwhelmed by this and says, okay, I, I want to do what's right. I want to seek you and I want to bring the people back. And so he makes many reforms at that point when he decided and he saw what had happened. He decides, I'm going to turn and the people that I'm leading, they're going to follow you, God. Forgive me for doing this. And so in verse 20, something happens, which is really interesting. Jehoshaphat's trying to get back on track and it seems like something is coming against them. So Second Chronicles 20, verse 1 and 2. After this, the Moabites and the Ammonites and with them, some of the Mayanites, this is like by a syllable. And a vow, because who these were they were like wheel of fortune worlds, but came against Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazan Tamar, that is in Gedi. So Jehoshaphat, right at the point he's deciding to get back on track, to kind of repent from going his own ways, decides we're gonna do what you want, God, and at that exact point. A group of people, some armies and large groups of people decide they want to come against them. And this is the same true in life. Here's the principle. Sometimes when you have kind of gone off path and you want to get back on track, you decide you're going to make some choices. You make some choices to change. You make some relationships that you need to happen to help you. You break maybe some from relationships that don't help you. You realize that everything in your life you want to align to make God happy. And at the moment you do that, things happen which come to discourage you which come to push you back, which come to kind of tell you, you know, you don't want to follow this God thing. See what happens? Trouble comes. And the same thing is happening to Jehoshaphat, which happens to us. At the point that we're off track and we try to get on track, a lot of times resistance comes. And it's at those times when we experience resistance that we say, all I was trying to do was, was do good. I was trying to do right. I know I messed up, but I've, I've done what I thought I should do. And so why is this happening? And that's when we, we feed this lie. It's not fair. See, it didn't happen when he was aligned with the king of Israel, Ahab. It happened after he had repented, and that just sometimes doesn't seem to make sense. Sometimes I think that that's not fair. Why, why is that happening? It seems extremely unfair, this circumstance. When you get back on track and you experience resistance, why does that happen? Now, little inside story. The Moabites had actually had an alliance with the, the kingdom of Judah. So the kingdom of Judah had promised not to fight them from a promise that God had made to the people of Moabites. So the very people that had aligned with Judah earlier were now coming to fight them. So it's kind of full circle. Don't align with Ahab because you have other alliances. And one of the alliances that they had was with the Moabites who actually came to fight against them. 
And that's another principle in life. Sometimes those that you're helping, that you do, that you just try to help and do things for, they accuse you and they, they come against you and they accuse you of, you need to do more for them. And this is happening to Jehoshaphat. The very people that he wouldn't attack are now attacking him. Pick up the story in verses 3 and 4. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord. Now, when you read the scriptures, you tend to read that like, yeah, that makes sense. But picture Jehoshaphat's life, okay? He had made some really bad choices like all of us. And he decided to get back on track and to lead the people. And all of a sudden, there's just groups and armies that are saying, you know what? We're going to take you out, Jehoshaphat. We're going to kill you. Then the scriptures say things sometimes where you just kind of flow off your your tongue like he was afraid yeah i would be petrified you have a target on you people want to take you out and you're trying to do good i would be petrified i would be fearful i'd be trembling i'd be just second guessing was this right to do where what am i supposed to do how am i supposed to move forward and it can be so stressful to us and as you dig into the story in verse three and four he was afraid he set his face to seek the lord And he proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. So he's saying, okay, people, we need to focus on God. A fast is where you you, you refrain from eating. You will not eat. You will seek the Lord. And everything in you decide you want to focus your energy on him. Nothing else. So he proclaimed to the people, let's fast to the Lord. There's people that are coming against us. We've decided to live for the Lord, but they want to kill us. Let's, Let's fast. Let's seek him. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now, this makes sense. If you have armies out to kill you, when you follow God, it becomes real right then, right? Okay, God, I really need you now. I really need your help because they are coming to get us. And so all the people were doing that. Verse 6 says this. O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? So this is Jehoshaphat speaking graciously to God. So, O Lord, God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? Like, God... We're fasting. We really need you. You're there, right? You're, you're seeing what's happening. We're about to get taken out. You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power and might so that none is able to withstand you. So the first thing that Jehoshaphat did, and he was very wise in this circumstance, was in the midst of this unfair circumstance where the timing was against him, where people were against him, when problems were coming, he decided to recognize the sovereignty of God. Now, the sovereignty of God is recognizing that God is in control. And the thing that gets us when we face things that are unfair, we sometimes back away from what's before us because we think, God's not in control. Why is he letting this happen? Why is this happening to me? And we give into fear and we try to take things into our own hands. Because if God's not in control, I need to be in control. I need to make this right. I need to do this. I need to go against this person because they're coming against me. But Jehoshaphat recognized that it is God who has the power and might. No one can withstand him. So in the midst of this unfair battle that was waged against him, he recognized God's in control. This prayer that he made... This prayer that he made is actually the same sentiment of the Lord's prayer that Jesus prayed to God. And it says this, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. As Jehoshaphat prayed to God, he, he, he recognized the same sentiment. You know what, let's, let's pray together. God, thank you for your presence and you are with us. 
And God, I thank you that you are God worthy to be worshipped. And we want to seek you and hear from you. And God, we thank you that you're here with us in our midst. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. And as Jesus prayed that same prayer, he echoed the same sentiment as Jehoshaphat. Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's the same principle. No matter what we're facing, hallowed be your name. You're in control. It's your kingdom come, not my own kingdom. You are the person that weighs fairness and unfairness. You are the person that sees everything. So Jehoshaphat, he recognizes this. And then he gives a request out to God. Second Chronicles 20, verse 10 it says, and now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt and whom they avoided and did not destroy. So he's basically saying, OK, now I've, I've recognized you're in control. I've recognized that you're sovereign. Here's my request. It's the same and tr- true with how God relates to us. It's not just about praise. It's about recognizing God's in control. And then you have to pour out to him what you're facing. What are your fears? What are the things that are just discouraging you because it's not fair? And this is what he's saying. Okay, these people, we're not invading them, but they're invading us, God. I know you see this. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. These people are coming against the very thing that you want us to do. Oh, our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. Okay, I want to repeat that. That that provides so much hope for me. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. So in the middle of this terrible circumstance, with unfair things that are happening... He basically admitted to God, I have no clue what to do. And he's the leader. You ever been in a spot like that where you're supposed to do something and you realize because of the circumstances, because of the trouble, because of fear that you have, because of doubt, whatever it is that's in your way, that's blocking you from moving forward. You get to the point where you realize, like, I don't I don't know what to do. But my eyes are on you. And then the last part of that passage is so powerful because it basically describes what's at stake. And it's a picture of the men before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So talk about unfair. The very people that they wouldn't attack have come to attack them. To take out their future, their family. That's unfair. We can't attack the people that are attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. That is such a powerful statement in the midst of unfair circumstances. Because it's basically saying, my, my hands are tied. I don't know why this is happening. A lot of times that happens. We don't know why it's happening. We don't know why the timing happened the way it did. We don't know why people are coming against us. We don't know why we're trying to make progress and it's not happening. And we can be just so discouraged. But we just need to get to the point where we realize God's in control. We don't know what to do. But our eyes are on him. So in response to the prayer, God begins to speak through one of the men. And this is what he says. This is verse 17 of chapter 20, Second Chronicles. You will not need to fight in this battle. Okay, everybody go. Everybody do that. Seriously. Okay. Because that is a great relief. When God says you don't need to fight in this battle, you're like, thank you, God. You heard me. 
I said we don't know what to do, our eyes on you, and I'm so glad that you heard because you're there. He says you do not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. O Judah and Jerusalem, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. So God keeps his word and they actually have victory over the Moabites and Ammonites. And God goes before them. And he provides the victory. So it's in this moment of the unfair circumstance that Jehoshaphat, he doesn't throw a fit. He doesn't fuss. He doesn't cave into the despair of all that's happened. He doesn't whine. He just looks to God and says, God, I need your help. I don't know what to do. My eyes are on you. Now, that didn't go against probably, that didn't go with his idea of what fairness would be. He's thinking, if I turn to God and kind of go past the things that I've done that are bad and go past the mistakes that I made and I see God, everything should work out fine, right? Well, it didn't happen like that. In fact, he had more persecution. He had more trouble. And that's a lot like it can be when you follow Christ. Following Christ is not a magic key. It doesn't take away all your problems. But what it does is, in the middle of the problems, you actually have somebody to look to when you don't know what to do. That's the difference. Because without Christ calling the shots in your life, when trouble comes and despair comes, all you have to do is look at yourself, look at your circumstances. And it may not be fair. And what do you do? Who do you turn to? God wants the things that we're experiencing that are just causing trouble and burden and weight upon us. He wants those to force us to turn to him. Now, he lets each of us go our own way and live life independently. But he wants the pressure that we're experiencing, the unfair things that we think we shouldn't have to deal with, to turn our eyes to look to him. And when we do that, we actually have a lot of help and we have a lot of hope. There's another helpful example in the Old Testament of the Bible, and I'm just going to briefly mention him. His name is Joseph, and his story is really one of unfair circumstance after one unfair circumstance. His brothers sold him into slavery. Family came against him. Uh, the wife of his master came against him. They wanted to kill him. They wanted to take him out. Promises were made to him, and they were broken. And at the end of it, God had worked all this trouble and pain and just unfairness really to honor Joseph and to work through Joseph like he would have never imagined. And he says in Genesis 50:20, he says, as for you, you meant evil against me. He's talking to the people that have come against them. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So what that says to me is in the middle of things that are unfair that we can't see why are happening, there's things going on with the sovereign God who is in control, that he's working things out that we don't know. We don't know history. We don't know the future. We don't know what God has been doing behind the scenes. But as we see how he's interacted with the people and the scriptures, we take hope knowing that as he interacted with them and as he made promises to them and he kept his word, he does the same to us. And as we look to him when we don't know what to do, he hears us just like he did King Jehoshaphat, just like he did with Joseph. So in the middle of those things, all those things that you think, you know, it figures, it's not fair, it's not right, it's not what I want. It's too hard. I'm all alone. It's in the middle that, that God comes and shows us that, that he actually is working far beyond what we could do by ourselves. So I want to shift gears and kind of talk about 
How, how do we take this? How do we take the idea of God being in control in the middle of unfair circumstances? Well, it happens like this. The first is in the middle of the unfairness that you face, whatever it is, if it's in a relationship, if it's at work, refuse to blame others or God. You just have to decide that you're not going to blame anyone for what you're experiencing. The reason is blame actually leads to bitterness. If you're blaming somebody else, you've set all your attention to them and they are the reason that you're facing what you're facing. Now, different problems in life, it could be because of what somebody has done. It could be because of what somebody has said. But at the point that we blame them and decide that we are going to focus our energy on making them pay, maybe not outwardly, but inwardly, it leads to bitterness. And that bitterness destroys us from the inside out. It just rots us. So we have to refuse to blame others or God. A lot of times we blame God when we don't really know anyone else to blame. Their circumstances have been happening and we're not exactly sure who was involved and why it happened, we just tend to look at God and say, well, what? why did you let that happen? Where were you? Were you asleep? Why, why did this occur? And we can grow bitter to God. When that happens, there's a, now a, there's a wall there. And so we must decide. We, ha, we have to refuse to blame others or God. And, and this is what Jehoshaphat did. He basically said, in the middle of this chaos, you're in control. It's chaotic. I might die. But I know I need to follow you. And, and you're in control. And so he decided he, he wasn't going to blame God. He wasn't going to fuss and whine. He was going to seek him. The second is refuse to take matters into your own hands and trust God. There's a common phrase we use now. Oh, no, he didn't. You guys ever use that? Or, oh, no, she didn't. Right? That's usually followed when somebody does something that they shouldn't have done, and it's usually to us or to somebody we love, and you think, oh, no, you didn't. That's like we are going to take care of the injustice or the decision that they've made that messes me or somebody that I love. And, you know, when you say it, you just feel like you have so much power. Oh, no, you didn't. I'm coming to get you. Right? And we say that kind of stuff. And we're like, that's right. She didn't or he didn't. How could they do that? And it just gets within us. Well, there's this point where that's taking matters into your own hands. If something that happens is unfair and you decide to make it fair, to make it right, how do you know what to do? How do you know, is that fair for the other person? Is that fair for everyone involved? Is that even fair for what should happen? Is that right? Is it wrong? And what you find is you start to play the role that only God can play. He's sovereign. He sees everything. He's in control. And when you refuse to take things in your own hand, you let God be God. And a lot of times this means you, you have to be patient. If you're in an unfair circumstance, patience is usually the last thing that you want, right? We need restitution. We need a resolution. And we need it right now. But oftentimes you have to take a step back. God, I don't know what to do. Help me to be patient. Help me to know you're in control. Help me not to be bitter. Help me not to go before you and do something that I'm going to regret. 
or do something that could just not be good or do something that would make you not look good. There's all the things that happen when we decide to take control and to bring about the results we want. Sometimes it can just wreak havoc. So we just like Jehoshaphat, we do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. It's basically saying, I don't want to act before I've surrendered to you. I don't want to act before I've let you know, God, the bottom line is, no matter how unfair, no matter how distraught I am over what's happening, I want to do what makes you happy. I want to please you. And the last thing, which is tied to that, is we have to look to God and ask him for help. And it's not just, God, I want you to execute this plan so things are fair with how I think they should go. Because again, we don't see everything. We don't know everything. We don't know how everything should go. But it's really this idea of, God, I'm committed to doing things your way and your timing. And if we each of us in the circumstances that we're facing decide to do things in God's way, in his timing, could you imagine the difference that would make? I mean, really. Imagine at work when faced with difficulty and things that are unfair. If you decided that you're not going to act justice on your own terms, but you're going to do things in God's way in his timing. That could prevent you from making some major decisions that could impact you, your future, say things that you don't want to say. The same is true in all our, our relationships. If we want to do things in a way that makes God happy, in his timing, in his ways, think about how that would trickle down into all of life. And it all comes back to this understanding that, God, I don't know what to do. I have some ideas, and it involves me taking people out. But your way, your timing, I don't want to play God. That's your job. So this is this whole premise of it's not fair. You decide to let God be God and you trust him to do what is best for him and his purposes and his kingdom and ultimately in a way that will bless you. And so I encourage you, whatever the thing is that you're just kind of facing right now, which you're wanting to execute your own plan, just ask yourself, with what you know about God, what would he want you to do? And if you're not sure, Is there somebody that you could ask that walks with God that could help you see what God would want you to do? Because it's in the midst of these things that are unfair that actually God can use that to help you get to know him better. Because God is a God that when we face with things that are hard, when we're faced with things that are unfair, when we're faced with things that are troubling and burdening, it's in those moments that you actually see the character of God and who he is. So I encourage you to think through that. What would God have me to do? And if I don't know, is there somebody I could ask that could help me see? So I encourage you to do that. The last thing I want to say is, and this is kind of the, I guess the scripture that sums up what God does in the midst of this as we turn to him. It's not just passive, like you seek God and you just hope he says something and, well, I'm just going to sit here and do nothing. No, you, you need to do what God wants you to do. You need to do right. You need to handle your responsibilities. You're not passive. But what happens is when you seek him, you actually find rest and this is in the last part of, verse, of chapter 20. It says, And the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. 
man, when these lies come to us, it's chaotic. It's stressful. It induces fear. But when you seek God, you get rest. Because he takes care of the things that he takes care of. As we take care of the things we take care of. And this peace and rest comes only from following him and his ways. So that's an encouragement to me. I hope that's an encouragement to you. There's some next steps that I encourage you to take as well. If you're just thinking through where you go from here uh, this next week, uh, each week we share next steps. And this is just a way that you can take a step towards practically applying something that you've heard today. Uh, maybe something that we suggest, or it could be something that you just realize you need to do. You need to look into more, you need to pray about, or you need to seek help in. And so these are just suggestions, but I want to walk through them. The first is to memorize uh, Genesis 50:20. The band's going to come out, but go ahead and pull that connection card out. And then when we receive our offering, you can drop that in there. Uh, you can memorize Genesis 50:20. Uh, the second one is you can identify a matter that you've taken into your own hands. And trust God with it instead. If you've realized that you've already gone down the path of trying to make it work out how you think it should go, maybe take a step back and invite God in to help you. And the last is take action by doing it God's way, not my way. And I've given you some suggestions of how you could do that. Let's pray together as we uh, continue singing back to God. God, we, we thank you for the stories of old that we can learn. And I can relate to... Most of the characters in the, the scriptures, they're people that are a mixed bag. They have some good, they have some bad, they make good choices, and then they follow good choices by bad choices. And you know, I do that all the time. And you are so gracious. And I know in the midst of things that are unfair and unmanageable, it's easy to fuss and whine. And I, I thank you for your grace that you've, you've forgiven us when we, we do fuss and whine. And when we pout before you. But God, help us to look to you even when we don't know what to do. And help us to wait on you. And God, I I pray that you'll give us some specific ways to relate. And specific action to take in a circumstance that we're facing. And God, I pray that as we do it in your way, in your timing, that you will give us that peace and the rest that we know comes from doing things your way. And so, God, we, we are hopeful knowing that you hear us and you see everything that's going on. And so we submit and surrender to you. In the name of Lord Jesus Christ, amen.